Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Desperate political times call for desperate primetime speeches, and that's what you got from Mr. 10%, the big guy, President Biden, last night, doing his best to connect the attack on Paul Pelosi to January 6th to the Republican Party. To voter suppression. It's hard to even say. It's hard to even say. After the assailant entered the home asking, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Those are the very same words used by the mob when they stormed the United States Capitol on January the 6th, when they broke windows, kicked in the doors, brutally attacked law enforcement, roamed the corridors hunting for officials, and erected gallows to hang the former vice president, Mike Pence. It was an enraged mob that had been whipped up into a frenzy by a president repeating over and over again the big lie. Mm. Yeah, we're going to see if we can run on Jan 6th and Trump and gaslight you about political violence. Where's Nancy on January 6th to where's Nancy at uh, the Pelosi home in Pacific Heights, San Francisco by some deranged dude who... I mean... Dan, I kept thinking the whole time, if Pelosi's husband wasn't attacked, would he even be standing up there? I mean, that gave him the reason to get up there. And he's at Union Station, which, by the way, every single, and I mean the only thing left there was Starbucks, every single shop there closed because of high crime. There's nothing. It's all boarded up. Um, would we? He would even have the press conference last night, and thank God, uh, he, just oh, no. the cable stations covered it, not uh, mainstream. Oh, he was going to do that speech, regardless if Paul Pelosi was. Uh, of course, of course. But their the entire message of the Dem socialists this cycle is threat to democracy, uh-huh. and uh, democracies. I mean, threat to democracy. Democracy's at stake, so on and so forth. They're trying to disenfranchise people and. I mean, this is the whole thing. They can't talk about any substantive issues that relate to people's personal safety or economic security. So they're left with this. And Paul Pelosi's attack, the attack on Paul Pelosi, just gives him, you know, sort of one more line that some speechwriter can fold into the larger message. But the message hasn't changed. And it's not going to change. Yeah, it's the same same thing that he said on September 1st. Remember when he was in Philadelphia and with the red lights behind him and the two Marines? You know, that President Trump is bad, MAGA Republicans bad. The extreme MAGA element of the Republican Party, which is a minority of that party, as I said earlier, but it's this driving force. 
is trying to succeed where they failed in 2020, to suppress the right of voters and subvert the electoral system itself. What and, vote uh, is being suppressed? I don't know. I, I mean, you know, this <sighs> is the, the detail you're not going to get because this is just accusations that are strung together that don't need evidenti- any evidentiary support because they just get amplified by the same cable news networks who were who covered the speech, for example, your fungible analyst on CNN. Dan Rather, the legendary journalist, has a metaphor that I love. He says, climate change did not create hurricanes, but it made them much worse. And it's the same with political violence. Political violence has always existed on all sides of the political spectrum. But today's political climate is making it much worse. And it is a uniquely right-wing problem right now. We cannot both sides this, given what we've seen in the last few years. Well, first of all, Dan Rather is not a legendary journalist. Secondly, uh, hurricanes are not getting more intense. And thirdly, it's a nice, nice strikeout. Your third strike is, no, of course, political violence is not the repository of the right. And to suggest otherwise is just to ignore the political violence recently. Forget historically, just recently, for example, the incident that nobody talks about in the context of the Paul Pelosi attack, except we do. I, I don't even hear Republicans bringing it up. Maybe maybe they need to be reintroduced to Rand Paul. Um, the attack of a, a sitting senator in at his home. Where he, he cracked Paul. his ribs. They had to take out a par- portion of his lung, one of his lungs. I mean, okay. Um, and also, by the way, here at home, uh, guy, some some 21-year-old goofball was arrested and um, released on $75,000 bail. By the way, that would not happen under the Safety Act. Uh, the um, When Did I Stop Beating My Ex-Girlfriend, Chris Welch, uh, the House Speaker, saying under the Safety Act, this individual would have been detained rather than being able to post 7500 to walk, $7,500, $75,000 bail. It's just the opposite. Uh, intimidating, threatening a public official is a non-detainable offense under the Safety Act. But, of course, this is what you're getting from the left generally. So you had some 21-year-old guy guy make all sorts of threats against Darren Bailey. Yeah, he left a voicemail message, excuse me, at his office in Springfield and then um, another place where he basically said he wanted to skin him alive and feed him to his family. And at first, the uh, the Secretary of State's office investigated. They said nothing. There was nothing there. And then state Secretary police, of State's office. not Secretary of State's. Um, oh my God, it, I can't. Uh, hold on one second. Uh, the first group that investigated, they said it was he was fine. And then state police got involved, and then they arrested him. And this all started because he was at a bar with his friends on Friday night, and he saw a Darren Bailey ad, and he got all upset. And then call. But he's when he does get out on bond, ABC7 said he was in jail last night. But when he does get out on bond, Dan, he's going to be on electronic monitoring. Doesn't that make you feel better? Here's uh, the um, high-mindedness of the left, an example of the left. Is this everybody who votes Democrat? No. No, it's not. Just like uh, people who committed crimes on January 6th are not representative of everybody of everybody who was even there on January 6th, who went to a rally and were peaceful. People forget that. It's still a small portion of the crowds that came to the mall on January 6th to hear President Trump speak. 
that committed any crimes, small fraction, much less of the larger Republican Party in the country. But that's not how it's being characterized. Here's what this guy said, among other things. You mentioned the, uh, the I want to skin you alive, feed you to your family. Yeah. Quote, I'm quoting, he's a piece of white blank, white ass, racist blank. And honestly, if he doesn't kill himself, I will. You know what? I know where he lives. I know where he sleeps. I know where his kids sleep. And I know the effing school he works at. Uh, he also said the candidate teaching all this MFing misinformation is going to die. So honestly, he should just kill himself before anything else happens. And so on and so forth. And I, I was right. Illinois Secretary of State Police did. They got that voicemail. Well, it was turned in at 1027 October 28th. But they did. Uh, investigate, and they didn't in, uh, immediately deem him as a credible threat. Can you believe that? And that's when it was in, turned over to Illinois State Police. But they uh, weren't even going to arrest him. Mm, now he's a chance of bond. He should be bond should be denied. But well, Dave, not in this world. David and Moneka. I just wanted to, well, you know, I don't acknowledge you enough for doing what you guys do, so I wanted to start there. And, Dan, it was because of your spirit and your courage and everything that, uh, that you instill that in me, and I don't hide anymore. I'm not afraid to be white. I'm not afraid to speak out, so thank you very much. But I wanted to say these people that uh, that are going into doing these things, the insurrectionists and the assailant, I mean, they've all got great questions. Where is Nancy? Where is she? I mean, is she running around with Waldo? What's going on? All right, thank you so much, guys. You know, she's in San Francisco at her, her husband's bedside as he recovers. But we found out more information. Oh, yeah, right. Well, she was over Okay. The yeah, you mean for the photo and then she uh, left? Or the video how long was she at that for, bedside? I don't know. She went in a few yeah. times. I saw her wearing uh, different outfits. I don't know oh, where she exactly. is now. Yeah, exactly. You saw her going in and out. Well, that's, oh, gee, yeah. That wasn't orchestrated. I mean, No, I mean, I look, of course, I'm sure she, she. it's a wonderful love affair they've had for how many ever years? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Not performative at all. Well, but the thing is, Capitol Police... They have, you know, they installed cameras on that home eight years ago, and they didn't see the attack, but then they saw police activity afterward. And then San Francisco police, her home alarm, we found out, it was connected to, you know, if it's tripped, San Francisco police are alerted, and the alarm wasn't on either. So, uh, Mark on the south side. Good morning, Dan and Amy. I think the most worrisome part of last night's speech was Biden saying, then a few of the election results will not be known for yep. days. That's with that being said. With that being said, it's, well, it's true. I wonder why the American people are skeptical of that. And furthermore, they sent people from the CIA to Brazil months ago, telling the current president who was defeated not to contest the election results. That's all I have to say. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, in places like Pennsylvania, that's true because they accept uh, ballots so late. So I mean, they don't start counting ballots until so late. They don't start counting absentee ballots until after the polls close. So if in a close race, you can it's guaranteed that Pennsylvania won't be but known for that's a couple of days. bull jive. I mean, he even said last night, be patient because we may not know who the winners are. We know that more and more ballots are cast in early voting or by mail in America. We know Many states don't start counting those ballots until after the polls close on November 8th. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. That means in some cases we won't know the winner of the election for a few days until a few days after the election. It takes time to count all legitimate ballots. Yeah, I I know. We got it. Yeah, Yeah, but in Illinois, too, it could be two weeks after the election. They'll still take ballots in and count them. So if Pritzker doesn't like the results, he's like, we're still counting mail-in ballots. 
again, we'll see how close these races are. But, yes, there's no reason that uh, barring something you know, very anomalous like, you know, within a few dozen or a few hundred votes in, in the case of a statewide race where you potentially have millions of votes, there's no reason that you should know the results on election night. It's just a, it's, I, look, it's our I, new I, normal. I, I agree. <laughs> Speaking of uh, the big guy, uh, the big guy, I mean, I mean, yeah, the big guy, Mr. 10 percent. Yeah, that guy. And uh, his sidekick there. Uh, Reparation H. They're coming to town this weekend. Yeah, they're going to be here separately. One's going to be here on Friday to, to, as they say, get out the vote with J.B. Pritzker and just instead of saying what was really going on and that he's campaigning with J.B. Pritzker. Um, but this is a big J, uh, rally where there's going to be one on Friday and then with, with the big guy and then on Sunday with Vice President Kamala Harris. The get out the vote rally for J.B. Pritzker and the rest of the Democratic ticket. Yeah, well, unfortunately, yeah. Uh, Illinois and uh, Chicago slash Cook County, one of the few safe places that Biden and Harris still enjoy. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 30, or visit them online at signaturebank.bank. That's signaturebank.bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, signaturebank.bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, Signature Bank. America First with Sebastian Gorka, today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, just a postscript on the discussion we were ta- having about the politically inspired violence per Mr. 10% primetime speech last night. Uh, I just caught this one. Republican New Hampshire Senate candidate Don Boldick, who's a retired Army Brigadier General, uh, he dodged a punch last night what? just as he was about to step on stage to debate the incumbent Dem in New Hampshire, Maggie Hassan. That's a punch. They got this was some hey. libert, libertarian party activist. Apparently, he was arrested. And Good. by the way, libertarians and leftists. Libertarian is just somebody who's not fully embraced leftism yet, but will, for the most part. There are exceptions, but that's. Okay. I, but I digress. Anyway, so I just so so uh, the rhetoric. Trump's rhetoric was responsible for Paul Pelosi's the attack on Paul Pelosi. Okay, so uh, whose rhetoric was responsible for? The threats or the attacks on Darren Bailey, Don Boldick, and Lee Zeldin. This is just in the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Whose rhetoric was responsible for that? And we're going to have Darren Bailey on later in the show, and I want to ask him too. Are they going to let him know if this thug is released? Because they are. If he does post bond, they said that they're going to get put him on electronic monitoring. 
All right. Well, um, switching gears, I want to get to this uh, COVID amnesty debate that's happening. Again, we talked about it a little bit with Steve Moore yesterday, but this a piece by Emily Oster, who we've had on the show. Uh, she's an economist. She wrote the book Expecting uh, Expecting Better, um, which was uh, uh, sort of a tutorial for pregnant women about all the things that people tell pregnant women to do or not do. And she sort of took uh, aim at those things from a, the perspective of an economist and separated the wheat from the chaff, if you will. So she wrote this piece in The Atlantic, uh, a call to declare pandemic amnesty. She wrote, we have to put these fights aside and declare a pandemic amnesty. We can leave out the willful, willful purveyors of actual misinformation while forgiving the hard calls that people had no choice but to make with imperfect knowledge. Los Angeles County closed its beaches summer of 2020. Ex post facto, this makes no more sense than my family's mass hiking trips. But we need to learn from our mistakes and then let them go. We need to forgive the attacks, too, because I thought schools should reopen and argue that kids as a group were not at high risk. I was called a teacher killer. It wasn't pleasant, but my but but feelings were high. And I certainly don't need to dissect and rehash that time for the rest of my life. Moving on is crucial now because the pandemic created many problems that we still need to solve. What do you think? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. No, <laughs> I'm not taking, I, I read that article. Uh-uh, I'm not ready to forgive or forget, because guess what's happening, folks? When If and when Pritzker wins, he's going to mandate vaccines for our children in order to go to school in the fall. <clears throat> and I know because... If he wasn't going to do it, he would come out and say, no, I have no plans on doing that. It was, well, i got to study the science and the data and the same rigmarole bull jive. So, no, this is not over yet. I'm not forgiving anybody. I, I was, I've been yelled out of stores. I've been, you know, and I was one of the original COVIDians, and I was vaccinated. I did everything the government asked me to do. And still, when I was watching and listening to this show and, you know, the guests that we had on and the doctors and the experts with varying opinions on this show, I changed my mind. And was ridiculed all along, even up until a few weeks ago at church, not wearing a mask. Like you're putting other people's lives at risk. I, I can't. I, I can't. Unless, well, I, I have to see some movement from that side, and I'm not seeing anything. Well, first of all, in order to get forgiveness, don't you have to ask for forgiveness? Oh, She's. Yes. Don't, she, I mean, I don't hear anybody. I don't hear anybody asking. What I hear is some people saying, "Move on," because no, I mean, I don't want to obsess about. And I don't obsess about all of the ignorance and the barbaric conduct of so many COVIDians during that time, starting with those in positions of authority. I don't obsess about it, but I'm also not going to forget it. And I'm certainly not going to offer any forgiveness if I don't hear any contrition or any recognition that some of the decisions that were made were terrible decisions that made people worse off. In every, every possible way. way. Every, financially, emotionally, mentally, physically. I mean, it's sending handing out, you know, money to get vaccinations. They should have signed us up for gym memberships. Well, the other the other thing, too, is um, it's uh, as you're sort of pointing out with the situation in your church. It's ongoing. It's, it's, it's not, not over. Yeah, right. It's not and over. so so right now, as we're talking, Dr. Peter McCullough, who's uh, was I mean, he still is in rational circles, but he was widely respected in his profession as a cardiologist, his internal medicine. And uh, now he his his credentials are under threat from the American Board of Internal Medicine because 
Because what? Because he was outspoken during COVID bringing up issues like natural immunity that were dismissed by the Tony Fauci's of the world. So now, right now, as we're talking, he may essentially lose his ability to practice medicine, not because he's not good at it. He's been doing it for a long time and he's widely published and recognized. But so because he spoke out and he actually said things that were true then and are almost irrefutable at this point, like about natural immunity and the importance of of that as an aspect of the conversation when we're thinking about mandates, he could lose his ability to practice medicine. So how, how are we supposed to move on from that? How are we supposed to move on from uh, what we're talking about with mandates and potentially more mandates to come oh, at the state it. level, right, with vaccinations for kids to go to school, as you were saying? And we don't know where some of these politicians are going to go with it. And we're seeing other countries, even, like Italy rehiring the workers, the healthcare workers that were fired for not getting vaxxed. We see the court case in New York State. Mm-hmm. So these fights are ongoing. And there's no movement here to rehire those that they fired and give them back pay. I mean, there's lawsuits, there's litigation, but I'm saying they, there's no contrition. Like Mayor well, Lightfoot and Prisker didn't see what was happening in New York with their Supreme Court and say, you know what, let's end this. So how can we preemptively forgive and forget when you have... Again, these things occurring in real time or the consequences of the decisions continuing to be under, you know, more, more uh, uh, widely understood. And, and, and how can we forgive and forget and not get some recognition For being of right. what happened and the impact so that the next go around – we don't make the same mistakes. I don't hear any of that. I don't hear recognition of tough calls and we've got this one wrong or we got it for wrong for too long. Like, for example, School. locking down businesses, locking down schools. I don't hear any of that. The they won't, they won't even recognize the, the data that showed that when the Catholic schools are open for a year before we were open, that there was no high transmission spread. No teachers died from getting it from a student. And the, the, the one school, the CTU, shame on them, whoever the heck did this. There's a special place in hell for them that, that put the burden on these two young girls and said that you brought COVID home to your mothers and killed your mothers just so that they didn't have to go back to school. And that was a lie because the woman drank herself to death. Yeah, I mean, all of those such incidents, um, the barbaric behavior. But, but, but again, as a society, we are poorer we're sicker dumber our kids and they're not dumber but the 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 they have uh, their intellectual social and emotional growth has been in some cases perhaps irreparably stunted stunted at least perhaps in some cases irreparably that's that's the fallout from all this and you we're just supposed to hey it was a tough time and some people had to make some tough calls and call it a day i don't think so mm-hmm. Pat in Lockport, you're in Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, good morning, Amy. Good morning, Dan. Um, I'm trying to control myself and maintain some level of propriety about what I'm going to say. Dan, you named all the reasons about a lack of forgiveness, and they're very legitimate. All the people that died because they were sent back to nursing homes. My own brother couldn't have a service for a year 
after he passed away. All the horrible damage that was done. Every one of these lousy SOBs from Fauci all the way down to the media that promoted all these falsehoods. And that dumbass Walensky boosted and waxed and she gets COVID, what, for the third or fourth time? You want amnesty? Well, excuse me. I want justice. I wanted to see every one of your miserable asses hung, period. You can take your amnesty and put it where the sun doesn't shine and take your mask along with it. I have no mercy for any of these pigs. My only prayer is that God give somebody the strength and the guts to do it and get the justice that this country and the world deserves with this false pandemic. Thank you for your... Right. And Pat, right, sorry Pat, about your thanks. brother. And don't forget, you know, but when George Floyd died, he had three funerals. I mean, so many people couldn't even be with their loved ones when they died, couldn't bury them with family and friends around, which is what you need when your loved one passes away. And boom, he gets three funerals and everyone's there. Everything's fine. Karen Beecher. Good morning, my dears. Um, my mother taught us that there were three components to forgiveness. First, you had to have regret. There has been no regret. No regret for the false science, no regret for the tactics, no regret for how they treated those of us who had different thoughts and ideas and research. Then you have to repent. There's been no repenting, none whatsoever. And then you have to repair. There's been no repair. I am still being treated like a pariah by coworkers, by the theater groups I belong to. I'm not allowed to come to audition anymore and let alone be cast in a show. So hell to the no, I will not, not until they get down on their knees at the end of my driveway, bow their heads and ask for forgiveness. Pray for Karen's and blessing. they have to have yeah. regret. Thanks repent for, and repair. Thanks for the call, Karen. Hell to the no. Got it. Appreciate it. Clay and Wheeling. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, like your first two callers, justice comes in the form of, to quote Charlie Daniels, a big tall tree and a short piece of rope. I'll also accept a 9 or a 45. This is ridiculous for what these people have done. We are Americans. We do not stand for this crap. We do not. Uh, my uh, second point is... Don't get violent. Violence won't answer. Don't, violence won't do We it. are Americans. This country was founded. We had a fight for our freedom. Fight. It, it, yeah, at the end of the day, the, this talk show is great. We, we have a great time, and we you know we discuss. And I always, always support discussing. Always support discussing. I will always encourage open dialogue. But we are Americans. We fight. This is the only way to to truly turn evil out of this world. You fight. Thanks for the call, Clay. Appreciate it. Uh, Candace Monpleasant. Hi, uh, good caller. Where she said that she thinks they should hang, but you know what they're going to do? They're just—that's why we're not going to have any fuel in twenty, thirty days. I mean, the elders, you know, the people who are running everything, they uh, see what's happening. <laughs> now people are starting to find out everything, and so then what are they planning? Oh, guess what? No gas for you in thirty, forty days, and everything will, you know, blow up and become a calamity, and we'll turn into Venezuela. Let's hope that doesn't happen, but. 
there should be no forgiveness. And what's most disgusting about this whole thing, I cannot believe how many people let their family members die in a nursing home or the hospital and and, and went along with the bull jive that you can't be there. That wouldn't let them in, Candace. Candace, no, they wouldn't know. And in Missouri, you, they snuck them through the I back. I cannot believe I didn't see any protesters outside of hospitals, outside of nursing homes. It was, re- I mean, I cannot, I can't believe it because, you know, we believe everything that's on the radio and TV, everything that we're told. We are the most gaslit people on the face mm, of the that's earth. That's true. And Thank people you. had to file court injunctions to Thanks, get because if they wanted certain treatment at a certain hospital and they wouldn't give it to them, they had to file a, a court motion in or, or court order to try to remove their loved one. But they didn't even have a control of their pers- their loved one's bodies. Remember that whole case? It's just sick. Chuck in Delavan, Wisconsin. Hey, uh, <clears throat> you guys witnessed it on May the 14th, 2020. Uh, we overturned our governor up here. You guys continued down there for two years. I met Bunky over at the Abbey. And there was nobody had no masks on over there when you guys were there. We, we were mask-free two years uh, earlier than you were. It was just certain states continued to do that. I don't forgive anybody. I never took the jab. And, uh, you know, there was people that didn't like me, but it didn't bother me. So thank you. Thanks for the call, Chuck. Uh, Gabe in Lowell, Indiana. Actually, I'm in Chattanooga because of this. Oh, um, I okay. lost my job. My wife lost her job. My sister-in-law lost her job. Same hospital. We lost everything. We lost all our income, there will never be a forgiveness. There will never, never. We have to move out of state away from family because of this. Was that because you wouldn't get the vaccine? Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. None, of, none of us got the vaccine, and they fired 70 nurses at that hospital. Yeah. Nurses yeah, know. I understand. Yep. Thanks for the call, Gabe. Appreciate it. I understand. I understand why people are not real enthusiastic about preemptive forgiveness. Uh, I understand, and um, I'm with them. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I know people like to focus where most of the money is spent. 
at the federal level, at the statewide level. But don't forget about the regional and local. Do you know who's running for state rep where you live? Do are you, you in a are you in a competitive seat? Do you even know who your state rep is? Because I've asked people that are pretty prominent doctors. You know, do you know who your state rep is or a state senator? No. Okay, we'll find out, and then we'll find out together so that they can I can educate people. You know, I mean, uh, you heard from Chuck and Delvin. We we're talking about uh, the whether or not to grant amnesty uh, COVID uh, per the call from Emily Oster and this discussion that's, that it's spawned, but her piece in The Atlantic spawned. Um, you know, he, Chuck from Delvin talking about uh, how the Wisconsin state legislature moved on Tony Evers, the Democrat governor in Wisconsin, and ended a lot of the lockdowns and restrictions that he had imposed much earlier than they ended in Illinois. Well, right, because they have a Republican-controlled state legislature. What do we have? We didn't even have a legislature. We didn't even have a General Assembly. It would appear, it appeared during the last, the better part of the last two years. I mean, I know they met long enough to pass the Pritzker Purge Law, but otherwise, on COVID policy, it was just a deference to whatever little Lord Fauntleroy wanted to do. Still is. Yeah. It frankly spawned Darren Bailey's candidacy for governor because he sure was did. one of the few that stood up and called out these lockdowns, litigated these issues. And so, you know, even if you are in the minority, you can still use your post to make a point, to take up the fight. So your state, you know, your local state officials and your local officials they matter in this, too. How about the mayors that decided not to go along, that said, worked with their business community, said, we're not, you know, come and get us. Molan Labe, right? Keith Peacow, Orland Park, running yes, for Congress. Exactly. And, Award him with good behavior and right. standing up. Right. And he's risen to prominence because he did. There's a lesson there about standing up if you're interested in being a political leader. And how about if you live in Arlington Heights or parts of Mount Prospect or Rolling Meadows? Illinois' 53rd district. Mark Walker, he authorized the bill to decriminalize small amounts of fentanyl. What That is the last thing we need right now. That's House Bill 3447. Shame on him. And that's why Jack Vrett, you should all vote for him. His father died from fentanyl. And, I, I mean, if there, that was inspired him to run against Mark Walker. So vote for Jack Vrett. 312. 312- Six four two fifty six hundred turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six da turnkey dot pro text line state issue state you know level but local like legislative candidates state supreme court races we haven't talked a lot about those those are important the balance of the state supreme court is four three democrat you have two seats up in the suburbs um, it, what if the Pritzker purge law is found to be unconstitutional at the circuit court level. And it, it makes its way up to the state Supreme Court. And you got two state Supreme Court justices who both received 500 grand from Pritzker in this race. That what are they? How are, how are they going to vote? I mean, so, you know, uh, the 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 interpretation of the pension clause, the Illinois Constitution. Uh, the uh, 
the, the myriad issues that would come before state Supreme Court. It's 4-3 Democrats or Republican right now. Those races matter. Curran and Burke are the two Republicans. How about, um, well, I want to get to ballot initiatives in your community or your county. You just mentioned Vrett in 53 versus Walker in the, in the legislative race. How about next door? This race between Michelle Hunter, who's the Republican, and Mary Beth Canty. Mary Beth Canty, there's video of her kneeling for the Star Spangled Banner. She held up her fist in a gesture supporting Black Lives Matter. Oh, boy. And that's kneeling, also Arlington Heights. Kneeling behind a child in the first row of a gymnastics tournament. Oh, come on. During the national anthem. Well, Lisa was in a 5K, a neighborhood 5K. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> but still, it's just it's stupid. No, but, but, so, but, but, but the, so do you know Do you know this about Mary Beth Canty? Do you even know who Mary Beth Canty and, and, uh, uh, and, and Hunter are in, um, and Michelle Hunter are in the communities, Prospect Heights, Arlington Heights, Park, mm-hmm. Buffalo Grove? H- how about this guy in DuPage County? This is another. These are these are swing seats, and these are suburban seats that Republicans have been losing, in part because they've done a bad job, in part because they haven't always had great candidates, but in part because people aren't paying attention, who otherwise know better, who otherwise are common sense and would do the right thing if they were paying attention. Well, you got to pay attention. That's part of doing the right thing. DuPage County lawyer, candidate for state rep, Azam Nizamudin. This is in East the eastern part of DuPage County, this seat. He took 10 vaccine doses out of an allocation given to Loretta Hospital on the Chicago's west side. Um, this was uh, uh, this was the Loretta Hospital that was slammed as being deceptive. Right. Right? Remember this? Yeah, and the CEO was fired. And... He, he was suspended. Uh, well, yeah, right. Uh, this, this guy was implicated in that. Oh, really? So he was one of the ones that took early doses away from people with high you know, comorbidities? And took the 10, 10 vaccine doses out of an allocation. He got them from this Ali Ahmed, the oh. president and CEO of Affinity Health, which had been overseeing the early Pfizer COVID-19 clinical trials at Loretta. So uh, Ahmed was suspended from his uh, his post for two weeks. Uh, this guy, by the way, I mean, what, what happened to this guy? I don't know. He's, he's a managing partner of some divorce, some uh, family law and personal injury f- uh, firm in Hinsdale. This was a he lost. A, he, he's previously run for judge, narrowly lost, narrowly lost. In DuPage County, this is DuPage County. Do you know about this guy? I've never heard of it. Has anybody asked questions about uh, that decision and what that says about his character? Frankly. Uh, if he was participating in something illicit, uh, the, the conversation about some sort of at least ethical punishment, since he's a officer of the court, uh, may be warranted. But regardless, you know who these people uh, uh, get down to? Michael Hastings. We talked about him. State Senator Michael Hastings in Will County. Mm-hmm. This is the guy that was trying to keep his uh, divorce records sealed because uh and they've been unsealed uh because uh he apparently per the divorce records was having an affair and 
and and so on and so forth. And he didn't want to know. He, he tried to get involved with Frankfurt police. He, he, he would he essentially use his post to try to influence uh, local police and the press. I mean, this guy's not, this is a rising star in the Democrat Party, Michael Hastings. Really? Is anybody talking about that in Will County? I mean, at least as it pertains to this race, you know, you're allowed to have more than one thought. You're allowed to pay attention to more than one thing simultaneously. You can pay attention to the governor's race, uh, to congressional races, and also have a bit of knowledge about what's going on locally in important legislative races. How about this? My friend uh, Tony Sambo is uh, a really good golfer, by the way. Good. Play with him at better the Olympic Fields. Yeah. He is better than me. Uh, he's he's scratch. He's, actually, I think he's like a plus two. Wow. But anyway, uh, Tony uh, runs a manufacturing concern in Will County. He lives in Frankfurt. Okay. And he wrote in the patch, vote no on November 8 on Frankfurt and Will County property tax hike. Highest property taxes in the nation. And are you paying attention to property tax hike uh, referenda questions on your local ballots? Apparently this one in Frankfurt is asking residents for a property tax increase in order to expand park district spending by 65%. Also to approve a new, new, an entirely new property tax to create a mental health board in Will County. So at the county level and the local level. And one of the reasons we have the highest tax property taxes in the nation, sometimes they say New Jersey's are higher, but actually if you look at it, ours are. Um, the reason, one of the reasons, because we have more local units of government than any state in the nation, despite being only the fifth most populous. More units of government, more taxing bodies, higher taxes. That's how it goes. So, you know, property tax relief, rethinking our entire property tax system. I know local governments will say, well, hey, you know, that's uh, the schools and this and that. I, right. Everybody's got a story and everybody's got a levy. And it all adds up, doesn't it? You know what it adds up to? Your home being collateral for somebody else's pension. And that's it. Look at your mortgage statements, people. See how much you're paying in property taxes and how much you're paying in principal. So, I mean, I just like, you know, to, you, you got uh, a few days here yet to investigate and find out if you haven't been paying attention. Find out who these people are. Start asking some questions about uh, legislative candidates, about um about state Supreme Court candidates, about local ballot initiatives, you know? Uh, Roger, Southside. Morning, both of you. Uh, quick comment to Amy. Amy, if you want all the things to end that you tell us about every morning, get out of Lakeview. I don't care how much you love it or your children love it. Okay, Lakeview has never been for the people who have their head on straight since the early 80s, okay? Beautiful, real nice, you know, uh, Wrigley Field and all, a lot of bars. But, you know, listen, those people aren't right. They're not right for living. Um, Dan, to you, uh, yeah, I'm glad you're going through this. Um, Out south, uh, we've got some real um, people who went unnoticed, like uh, Bill Cunningham. um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's fantastic. Hey, Bill, how how you doing, Bill? Um, anyway, yeah, so uh, 
there's a, a lady uh, from the Mount Greenwood area, uh, Christine uh, McGovern. McGovern. McGovern, yeah. I love her. How, how, how about, She's how, about on the show. You know, how about all those people? How about all those Southsiders? All those Southside Democrats from Matt O'Shea, the Alderman, Fran Hurley, Billy Cunningham, all these people. <laughs> when they when when they had it, you know, when when uh, Danny Golden gets shot, all of a sudden they're Law and Order. All of a sudden they remember their Law and Order again, and that their neighborhoods are dominant and the, their districts are dominated by first responders. All of a sudden they are, while they stand quietly by, or worse. When their party's power structure, op- openly, openly antagonistic, openly hostile to first responders, defund first responders, particularly police, vilify police, let the streets, think, let you know. turn the streets over to thugs. All of a sudden, Danny Golden gets shot, and they remember they're they're pro police, pro law and order. What a scam! What a right. scam! Well, here, I, 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 what what is it going to take? Is it going to take? Uh, is it going to take? I don't know a whole gang of thugs coming into a bar on Western Avenue and lighting up a bunch of rich Beverly kids. Is, is, mm. is that going to be the line in the sand then? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the line in the sand is. It's but a good vote question. for Christy yeah. McGovern. Thanks don't for the vote call, for Roger. Bill Cunningham. Appreciate it. Yeah, and, 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 then it's, and it was just pointed out yesterday, what the hell is FOP, what the hell is John Canzara doing giving uh, Cunningham 50 grand? For what? I don't know why. I mean, it's ridiculous. any of these Democrats, they are they are the party of J.B. Pritzker, Chris Welch, Don Harmon, the radical left, period, full stop. I don't care who they say they are in Mount Greenwood. Joe in his car. Yeah, Dan and Amy, uh, thanks for what you guys are doing. I want to ask the Lord to put a hedge of protection around all your listeners out there. And, uh, Dan, without you doing what you've been doing for this political season, there wouldn't be nothing out there. It's a travesty that the, there's no opposition to this communism that's coming down the pipe at us. And like the last caller said, out in the Beverly, I'm a south sider. Um, not over that way. I'm west side. But they, uh, I, I just can't believe what, they, what they're, what they're lo- allowing to happen in their own neighborhood and being vilified as being police and fire it's it's unbelievable um, but i just wanted to call and thank you for what you've done because you're the only one out there doing a the damn thing god bless you thanks for the call i'm not the only one there's a lot of people but i appreciate it and but we need more uh jonathan carroll i mean i don't want to forget him jonathan oh, carroll god. state rep from northbrook oh the yeah. you know the the you know uh, gross he looks gross too he looks off but, but wrong. we believe women north shore Right. And he pressures a staffer to get an abortion and then fires her because she wouldn't. We had her on the show last week. That's the allegation. Is there people paying attention to that up in Northfield Township? And then the, you know, queasy comments he would make to her that she alleged on this program. I don't know. Yeah. And and his chief of staff, too. But very detailed story. About uh, things that were said by both his his chief of staff, basically legislative aide, chief of staff, his legislative aide and him, Jonathan Carroll. Any, any reckoning there? Conversations happening in, on the Tony North Shore about Jonathan Carroll? Matt in Oak Lawn. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, following up something you mentioned yesterday after you had Keith Peacock on the line and uh, just what you're talking about with the 19th Ward. So I've been uh, dropping off signs for Peacock. And they, I live in Oak Lawn, but I could hit a golf ball into the 19th floor. Um, you wouldn't believe how many 
signs. So like I, I would go from Beverly, Mount Greenwood, in the eastern, southeastern corner of Oakland. I'm not kidding when I tell you we there's it's littered with peacock signs. Yeah. And you yeah. don't see any casting signs. Yeah. Um, well, that's this is the that we were talking to Keith Peacock about this yesterday. I think so. The cartographers of the left made a bit of an overreach in that district and probably didn't expect the matchup with Keith Peacock. But um, the, 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 the city portion of that district is uh, not going to be helpful to Sean Casson, which is why I think Peacock is going to beat him. Yeah, I think so, too. Anyways, have a great day. And it's Thanks, another man. reason why Biden and Harris are coming in Friday, one on Friday, one on Sunday, to help, you know, get out the vote for Democrats. And on the list, it says help Sean Caston. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, no, I think they're getting nervous, Dan. They're 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 definitely nervous about Caston, Underwood, and Foster. Yep, and they're that's who they're helping about or trying to. And Pritzker, they're helping, too. Uh, Cindy Arlington Heights. Hi, Cindy. Oh, hey, hi, Dan. What's going on with uh, Burke running for Supreme Court? And I'm wondering if Ed Burke and Ian Burke are his parents. No, 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 uh, no, no, you know, no, 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 no. Michael Burke, no relation. There's a lot of Irish. There's a lot of mix-up. There are? Burke. Yeah, yeah, no no yeah. relation. Daniel O'Proft? No, yeah. Burke, Burke, thanks for the call, Cindy. This people is, are uh, wondering, people, yes. That's why people need a, No, Mike Burke, no relation uh-huh. to Ed and Ann. He's a Republican. He's a uh you know, originalist in terms of judicial philosophy. I mean, he's he's good. We need him there. Uh, Tina Joliet. Hi, good morning. Um, so I, I just wanted to talk about this mental health board levy because I don't think people quite understand. Uh, the entire reason it's even on the ballot is because two of the most radical left uh, members of the Will County Board pushed and got it on. Once it's on the ballot, now it goes to the taxpayer, and they're trying to pass it off as a tiny little tax um, it, that will just, you know, help the, the poor downtrodden of Will County. Uh, we, we, we don't need it. it this, what they're not being told is that the board, uh, this new mental health board, if it's passed, uh, the, the head of the Will County board gets to, to choose those seven people, none of them have to have any background in mental health care. And once assigned, they're allowed to hire staff, assess salaries, benefits, purchase properties, lease space. That this nobody is talking about this. I've been I've been trying to do uh, live streams and to let people know, you know, vote no on Amendment One and vote no on this mental health levy. It's and this this um, mental health levy is on on all ballots throughout the state of Illinois. So this is a very coordinated effort to get this thing pushed through. Um, it already exists in a handful of counties, but they've taken it to every other county in Illinois now. Uh, this is absolutely coordinated by the left, and I, I honestly I think it's to push the, uh, the trans agenda. I think they're going to use that money to help, you know, to act as a, a, um, an outreach to um, pushing their propaganda for the trans community. Mm, mm. Thanks for the call, Tina. Another, another, I mean, Will County, Democrats took over the county board. DuPage County, Democrats took over the county board. Uh, yeah, those offices, those offices it. matter. Yeah, they do. Mm. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Only the biggest.
biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. The uh, rapper Ice Cube. You remember Ice Cube? He used to be like a gangster rapper with NWA. And uh, then he turned into a middle-aged guy who does dopey sitcoms. It's weird. (laughs) And sort of silly movies. But actually, he was was good, and and it was a great movie. Straight out of Compton. Did you see that about I, NWA? Yep, I did watch that movie. It was, it was actually it was actually quite good. Uh, well, Ice Cube is a bit of an independent thinker in, in his own right, which is always interesting and helpful and something to be uh, promoted. You remember last year uh, in the run-up to the 2020 election, I guess that's two years ago now, uh, he rolled out his contract with Black America. And he essentially called on both parties to, and people of both parties, to take up the component parts of the Black contract with America that he drafted and make this part of the policy discussion. Some of it is good, some of it is, I don't know if I could go along with, but regardless, it's a good discussion piece. Well, he's talking about it again and how it's gone, relationship with the Biden administration. You know, because 90% of, 85, 90% of black Americans are affiliated with the Democrat Party, at least in terms of how they vote. So, well, how's it going? The Biden administration agreed with 85% of what you had in there. Um, What didn't they agree with? I guess 85% because they didn't, I still haven't spoken to them uh, about it. So, you know, they haven't done anything to act on it. You know, I've had a, a one or two, one conversation with uh, an assistant to the president, but no talk with the president um, and, you know, no, no other movement. So we're still working, though. We're still, like I said, working behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And um, on the heat that he took for engaging with the previous president, the previous administration, Trump. How did you view the heat um, that you took for engaging with the Trump administration? I just think people didn't understand, you know, exactly where where I was coming from. Um, and people are really uh, used to seeing, you know, Black people just go on one side to the Democratic Party. And, you know, we've been doing that for a long time as a people. And we haven't really gained as much as I believe we should. And I believe it's important to engage with both sides. Imagine that. Imagine that. Yeah, and how's it going for black families in Chicago and Cook County in the state of Illinois. The black unemployment rate in the city of Chicago is two and a half times the white unemployment rate. 22% of black third graders read at grade level CPS. 22%. Half that do math at grade level. Do I need to say anything about the violence and who the supermajority of victims are? 
three kids shot on the west side on Halloween of the 14 teenagers or not preteens. And listen, they had a vigil last night, and listen to this man. It was 10 people in the same family were shot, and this is what they want on the west side. We want the same results, consideration, and resources that they got in Highland Park. Yeah, well, yeah. I can appreciate that perspective. Yep, not a big ask. So it's a, and that takes two. The one you have to make the overture, and for the person that is receiving the overture, they have to be open-minded. Ice Cube is open-minded. We've made the overture this cycle in a very pronounced way. There's not a, I, I don't know if there is a black media, black-owned media outlet in Chicago and Cook County that I have not. Uh, bought paid advertising because uh, I agree these outlets and we talked about this with Lightfoot using other people's money to try to buy support Uh, these are important outlets they have important audiences we want to reach so the overture is being made it's being made uh, at the gubernatorial level by Charles Thomas former ABC 7 political reporter being made by Beverly Miles, who also stood up against Pritzker in the primary campaign and ran against him. Uh, It's being made by people who have not forgotten the things that Pritzker said about black officials when he ran, well, that was unearthed when he ran in 2018, the calls that he's on with Blagojevich that the FBI had wired up talking about who should be in which slot, starting with replacing Barack Obama in the Senate and t- using, you want to talk about dog whistles, using dog whistles like sort of qualified and least offensive in terms of referencing Jesse White and the kind of black candidate that would sell. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing, you know, I mean, this is, this is, and, and it's interesting because you see real movement among Latino voters, huge minority group, also in Cook County, Chicago, the nation important politically could be uh, is potent politically could be a lot more potent and they're getting a lot more potent why because they're engaging with both sides so that nobody takes them for granted and nobody ignores them maybe more black voters will start to do the same beginning on tuesday for more on this in the context of the Cook County board race, please be joined by the Republican nominee for Cook County board president running against Tony, Tony, Tony Preckwinkle, <laughs> Bob Fioretti. Bob, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, good to be here this morning. Thanks. Uh, what about your overtures? You know, obviously Preckwinkle is a black female, but um, but you have to, in Cook County, you have to make overtures to uh, get uh, uh, sizable portions of the black and Latino vote in order to be successful. What are you doing there? Well, I've been reaching out to pastors in both uh, the Latino community, where I believe I have about uh, uh, 70 to 80 pastors right now endorsing me, uh, but they're afraid to come out. Uh, I met with 50 of them yesterday. They said that to me. Uh, I have about 20 black pastors who would like to, and they're trying to figure out and determine a way to come out and endorse me, uh, but they are they are worried. They're worried about uh, any repercussions from the Democratic Party and the head of it, uh, Tony Preckwinkle. But you're a former Democrat. Yeah. And, Do you have uh, that conversation? You know, the Democratic Party, as I've said many, many times, six years ago, left me and left most of the middle class here in the city and the county of Cook. Um, with the, um... And their policies are so extreme. 
I mean, uh, these guaranteed income programs that both Lightfoot and Preckwinkle are, are doing. Here in the county, we're giving 3,250 people, uh, 500 a month for two years, and no strings attached, no financial literacy, no job training, no, no work to be done for the 500. And you had, what, 220,000 people apply for it? Are we kidding ourselves? Well, and, and, and Preckwinkle Preckwinkle said she wanted to scale the program. Right. This is a pilot program to, to be scaled, of course. She wanted to scale the program to everyone who is eligible under the income requirements. That would be like 1.7 million Cook County residents. I mean, there would be a multi-billion dollar guaranteed basic income program is what she's really angling for it seems and they also opened up the program to the asylum seekers that have arrived in chicago some three thousand right and 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 she wants to do this uh, even after this federal money runs out so who's going to pay for it the taxpayers of cook county more tax increases that's what where it's headed uh it's absolutely boneheaded type uh, uh typical democratic policies here's the money give us the vote well, here, the other thing with Preckwinkle, too, I mean, she's, you know, Lightfoot and uh, Pritzker have taken and Fox have taken the fire, but she's part of that cabal. I mean, she's obviously Kim Fox's mentor. I, I think people misunderstand. She is the, the reason. It's her progressive policies. Two months after Kim Fox was elected six years ago, she pulled in uh, Fox, Tim Evans, the chief judge, and Tom Dart. She set the standards on each one of those offices. It's in a lot of the uh, minutes of the meetings of, of the board and the budget hearings. And, and she is the puppet master on who controls what's happening. The, the crime surge here in the county and in the city, she's the one responsible. And, and her protege her, and uh, the mentor that she, who she mentors, Kim Fox, she put her in there, into that office. She designed the programs, um, and her uh, once adversary, Tim Evans, is the person who just uh, has to do what she says in terms of how the bond was setting the bond, sen- setting the sentencing, and, and here we are with the sheriff's budget increasing year after year, but we're cheer- tearing down jail cells and jail blocks to well, keep prisoners I- yeah, and, well, that's and it, her goal, right? To release everybody from prison. Well, well, when she ran for Cook County Board President, she said her top priority was to reduce the population in Cook County Jail. That wasn't like we we want to reduce it because there are people there that are innocent or this and that. We want to reform. She, no, I just want to reduce it by any means necessary, and that's what's happened uh, and, with the electronic monitoring program, and obviously now with uh, something she supports, like her protege Kim Fox does, the Pritzker Purge Law. And, and and so she was really the architect of the safety program, safety act, way before it even became a, a law here in the in the state. So uh, you know we we have to start standing up. We we need people to get out and vote and, and deal with this whole corrupt system of, of what we are seeing because the taxpayers of this county are fleeing. Uh, our government spending is out of constru- uh, control. Infrastructure, whether you're in the city or in the county, is crumbling, and our taxes are higher than ever. And what do we get for it? We don't get anything. Speaking of taxes and taxpayers, um, I I know this isn't her direct responsibility, but she has been noticeably silent on the issue. People getting the second installment on their property taxes 
Um, it, Dave, we had David Hochberg on the show, of course, uh, mortgage broker David David Hochberg, talking about you know just the, the negative financial impact in addition to the political chicanery aspect of the not getting your property tax bills until after the election, if if even before the end of the year. Well, here, here's the actual issue. That she knew and she convened over a year ago uh, all the parties. And granted, she likes to blame Kagi, who's now her other puppet in this whole uh, tax structure and getting the tax bills out. But she she sat there, and, and the Board of Review people, uh, who all three of them, were, uh, they were backing a different candidate for assessor, and she's backing Kagi. This whole thing boiled down to a strictly a political fight. I was on a program last night with uh, uh, two very progressive, including Kagi, uh, and there he was. And it was like he wasn't even taking responsibility for getting the tax bills out on time. Well, it's a bunch of other issues, as he said. Uh, well, wait a minute. You know, she, she knew then. She and she had the responsibility, and she couldn't get it. And why? Because they don't want to get it out on time. Why? Because it'll affect voting. I mean, we well, need it they, for our tax returns at the end of the year. Absolutely, and and don't forget, she was a, bit, a staunch supporter of Joe Barrios during the uh, oh, yeah. uh, before she became a staunch uh, supporter of Fritz Kagi. So, and and it's a it's a lot of these small municipalities are suffering because they can't make the payroll because they need the taxes to come in. Uh, people, uh, you know, the the new home. If you're just uh, sold your home, you, you a lot of people are escrowing the money. It's going to be held in escrow until the final uh, taxes come out. So and, it, and it, this is really illegal. complicated in terms of what's happening, but it lays on the footsteps of Tony Preckwinkle. And and things are going to be different under Bob Fioretti. How? Give me one big idea. Well, I, I think we're going to be, we'll, we'll be a truly open and transparent government, but we are going to enact change that's going to fix the problems plaguing our, our, our county. We're going to rein in spending. Uh, we're going to look at every department. We're going to make cuts that were the cuts are necessary, and we're going to stop this foolishness. We, I mean. We're headed towards a big disaster after this federal money runs out in a year and a half from now. Uh, and we're going to have to make really tough decisions and not tax the taxpayers. He is Bob Fioretti, Republican candidate for Cook County Board President. FioretiForCook.com is the website. Bob, thanks for joining us. Good luck. Good to be here this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. And he joined us on our turnkey Top Pro Answer line. You've made the switch. And it feels so good. You switch to Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Dan, I forgot to ask Bob Fioretti if he's got a fun jingle. Remember when he ran for mayor in 2015? Hot dogs, pizza, sports, and spaghetti. If you love Chicago, gotta love Fioretti. Fights for your rights on the council floor. His legislation, he does so much more. Look at the ward he revitalized. Look at the city rob privatized. Hot dogs, pizza, sports, and spaghetti. Bob paid for by friends of Bob Fioretti. He shouldn't have. <laughs> shouldn't have paid for it. No, it's actually kind of funny. And they it's show kinda, a kid like shoving spaghetti down or something. It's kind of kitschy, but it's fun. Yeah, he should he should have brought that back, updated it for the Cook County it. Board race. You've made the switch, and it feels so good. You've switched to Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560, The Answer. 
This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Yesterday we had Jean Cable on the show. She is the niece of a Chicago police sergeant who was murdered, assassinated, along with his partner 50 years ago, 52 years ago now, in Cabrini Green. And the one of the killers of the two officers was paroled last year. Uh, it's, it's posted at MorningAnswerChicago.com. You should go listen to the whole interview. Here's sort of the the um, summary of the story as I summarized it in a radio spot I'm doing part of the for the gubernatorial race as you know I run this pack that's involved in the governor's race supporting Bailey opposing Pritzker here's the ad featuring Gene Cable and her story my uncle was a sergeant in the Chicago Police Department and he loved being a Chicago police officer he was with a patrol officer, Anthony Rosado, and on the evening of July 17, 1970, they were assassinated. Gene Cable is still incensed more than a year after the Illinois Prisoner Review Board released convicted cop killer Johnny Veal for the 1970 Cabrini-Green sniper killing of her uncle, Police Sergeant James Severin. I never thought I'd see the day where convicted cop killers would be released on the streets and people would be okay with it. For decades, Jean and her family had the support of governors and prosecutors, Democrats and Republicans, to keep her uncle's killer behind bars until J.B. Pritzker. We did not get any letters whatsoever from Governor Pritzker opposing parole. When you kill a police officer, it's an unforgivable crime. My message to the governor would be shame on you. Punish J.B. Pritzker for releasing a cop killer. Paid for by people who play by the rules pack. Never thought I'd see the day when cop killers would be let free. Well, that day came when Pritzker, Fox, and Lightfoot came into power. We got a response to, and by the way, there's a 30-second TV ad that's based on the story as well. That's up yesterday as well, so look for that and share it. We got a response to our interview from George Devereaux. Uh, he writes, Dear Casey, no, he writes us, I was commander of the 18th District, 2015 to 2016, where we continued the tradition of hosting annual luncheons for the Severin and Rosado families in the memory of Sergeant James Severin and Patrolman Tony Rosado. With the great assistance of the Chicago Police Memorial Foundation, then Captain Paul Bauer, who was able to acquire, who was also killed in the line of duty, was able to acquire the painted memorial horses dedicated to Sergeant Severin and Patrolman Rosado, we dedicated the two memorial horses during one of the luncheons, and they now are prominently placed in the 18th District Community Room. When I learned of the release of the convicted murderer of Severin and Rosado by the Illinois Prisoner Review Board, I was incensed. I began to research the 12-member panel, uh, the 12-member panel uh, of the board. Some of the members had a legal and law enforcement background, but more of the board members had a community activist and restorative oh. justice background. Oh, there you go. I immediately drafted a letter and sent the, the members the letter personally addressed to each board member. Several weeks later, one of the board members contacted me, was extremely apologetic. The member related that the Illinois Prisoner Review Board changed when Governor Pritzker took office. The member was very respectful, contrite, and appeared frustrated. I was aware that Cook County State's Attorney's Office, Cook, Cook County State's Attorney Fox made a public proclamation that her office would no longer assist the families of slain police officers in their parole board hearings. I did not know that Governor Pritzker and Mayor Lightfoot declined to offer any assistance on behalf of the Severn or Rosado families. Uh, 
It seems the phrase, we will never forget, rings hollow in the minds and hearts of these three political leaders of our city, county, and state. Very sad. George Devereaux, former 18th District Commander. Very sad indeed is the state of affairs in Illinois. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by the Republican nominee for governor. He is State Senator Darren Bailey. Darren, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Hey, good morning, friends. It's always uh, great to be on here, and just thank you so much for keeping things relevant and uh, keeping everyone informed. So, well, let, let's uh, yeah. we're living in some interesting days. Yeah, well, let's start with law enforcement. Um, uh, you know, this, so so in the, on the front side, we don't want to keep people accused of violent uh, crimes uh, detained pending trial, and then on the back side, we're releasing cop killers. No, that's exactly right. As a matter of fact, uh, on Governor Pritzker's prisoner review board at one point in time, he had a convicted murderer uh, that, that held a position on that board. And we were uh, successfully in the Senate able to get to that person removed. And, and even in my uh, uh, Senate district in Effingham County, uh, Trooper Davis was uh, uh, held down and, and murdered uh, 45 years ago. And, and uh, just last year, um, the, uh, the accomplice, the, the man that held him down, uh, was uh, was released, and and uh, and we knew that uh, uh, the, the the actual murderer, the man that pulled the trigger, was going to be released, and and uh, that's <laughs> that's the twisted mess that J.B. Pritzker has uh, is allowing and and is promoting. But why is he doing it? I mean, letting cop killers go, what 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 benefits does it have to him? How does it benefit Amy, him, I should say? why is this man doing anything that he's doing? This man is – he has a twisted mind. I mean, if we look at the – I've been dealing with this for years in, in, the, in the House and in the Senate, and people ask me all the time, what, what is the agenda? I mean, if he's not letting cop killers go, he, he's teaching our children his woke ideology. Uh, no one I – I don't know. I don't know. I cannot figure this out except uh, uh, just a twisted mind. It's destroying our state, and people are becoming aware of that, and I think that's going to be the catalyst to removing him here in just a few days. Well, I know there's uh, litigation pending uh, against the Safety Act to declare it unconstitutional. That's pending in a Kankakee court. But um, what steps are you going to take uh, if you're elected on Tuesday to repeal the Safety Act if, if – uh, you can't get a court to enjoin it, but you know before you take off before you would take office in January. If it requires legislative action, what steps are you prepared to take? Well, I, I have full confidence that we will be able to repeal this. You're starting to see, uh, you know, Governor Pritzker now with his empty rhetoric suggests that well maybe we need to take a look at some things. You've got the Democrat senators and representatives proposing, you know, these so-called trailer bills. I want to remind people if. J.D. Pritzker was was serious at all about making any changes, and you know my phone should be ringing right now, calling me to Springfield, and within six hours, and and sitting down and creating uh, this these changes. But right. back in January of 2021, when this passed, it did pass, uh, I believe, in the House by a very narrow margin. Now that people know what it does, and and unfortunately, the very people that wrote this simply don't know what it does. Uh, uh, Representative uh, Speaker Welch uh, yesterday posted a text stating that uh, you know this uh, the person that recently made a threat against me uh, you know would just simply be released or, or would be could be held 
uh, after the Safety Act uh, passes and goes into effect, which is completely untrue. J.D. Pritzker and the people that wrote this, the 700 pages, they have no idea what it says. I'm, I'm going to put my address behind the 100 of the 102 states' attorneys that know exactly what it says. I'm going to put my trust behind the entire law enforcement that has endorsed me because they know exactly what it says and what they can and can't do. And, and it's just a shame. I, I think this has really uh, revealed the hypocrisy and the incompetence of, of J.B. and his administration that uh, – uh, they simply don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're signing. They don't understand how devastating some of these policies are that they've put into action over the last four years. Well, I wanted to talk to you about this this scumbag who made the threats against you saying, quote, I'm going to skin Darren Bailey alive, making sure he's still alive, and I'm going to feed his blank family to him as he is alive and screaming in blank and pain. Uh, now, I know the Illinois Secretary of State police did not immediately deem him to be a credible threat. And then what, then what happened? It was turned over to Illinois State Police? Well, the Illinois State Police really intervened on their uh, – in and of themselves. They looked into it up until the point that, uh, uh, that uh, uh, I talked with Secretary of State Police. I hadn't even listened uh, to this uh, – you know, to, to the message myself. I mean I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm a farmer. I'm just I, – I work, and, and I'm, I'm used to – you know, I've had threats before. But when, when I when I finally got to the point that I could slow down and just stop and listen to this message, it was concerning, and, and I thought, wow. And then shortly after that, I was contacted by uh, state police, and and the officer that I was talking to, he even said, he said there, and he said, I I've never eight years of doing this, and I've never heard anything remotely close and as disturbing as this. So, uh, you know, in this day and age, and, and with the uh, the divisive uh, rhetoric that. Uh, Joe Biden and J.B. Pritzker are pushing out there. We thought, well, we need to obviously this has got to be dealt with. Are they going to yeah. let you know if, they, if he's if he uh, bonds out? Because they said when he does, they're going to put him on electronic monitoring. But will somebody yes. contact you? They, the state police have, have been doing an, an excellent job of, uh, of keeping us posted. So uh, I, I assume so. Yes. It's not the first time. Uh, I mean, you know, people have short memories. Jeannie Ives, former state rep and gubernatorial candidate Jeannie Ives. She uh, had a guy make threatening, uh, send threatening messages to her. He was uh, prosecuted by Bob Berlin in the DuPage County State's Attorney's Office. He was convicted. This is a few years back now. But, I mean, this is, um, th- th- you know, there's a certain unhinged element on the left that uh, that is papered over by the corporate legacy media because, of course, they're of the left as well. But it is very real, and you see it all the time, and, and this against the backdrop of Biden's speech yesterday talking about uh, you know politically inspired violence and so on and so forth. But it's very one-sided, their discussion. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Biden and Harris are coming to town this weekend. What do you make of that? Well, I, I think it's very obvious what we make of that, the exact same reason why uh, Obama got involved. J.D. Pritzker knows he's losing. Uh, you know, he, we're, we're not going to see that in the mainstream press, as, as you well know. But, uh, guys, I'm telling you, everywhere we go, last night down in the right, uh, just down in, on, on LaSalle Street, uh, doing an interview outside of a, an office where I just had a meeting, and, you know, people are people just are coming up to us. They're just standing there in a suit, no Bailey stuff, uh, 
signs or anything, and people are coming up and they're they're frustrated. They're ready for change. I made a stop at a gas station in Kanki or uh, uh, yeah, in Kankakee on the way home, and and people are coming up to us, just saying, "You're you've got to get rid of this guy." So so people know and they understand, and and even though the press isn't reporting that, uh, JB Pritzker knows it. So uh, it's all hands on deck, but it's uh, it's simply too little too late because there's just there's too much at stake for our state and and you've done a good job we've done a good job of getting that message out to the people and and that really in the days ahead uh, it's an informed constituency Uh, we've we've uh, people of illinois including myself prior to getting involved in in government um, we just trusted and assumed that the people that we send to office are you know are going to do the right thing and and we're so busy being overtaxed and overburdened raising our families uh you know, we don't pay attention to, to this thing called state government because, you know, it, it really frustrates and disgusts us because our elected leaders are failing us. But in the days ahead, as, as we become more informed and, and getting involved, and, and that's what I'm seeing happen with people running for office, with people signing up, thousands of people signing up to be poll watchers, I think we've got an amazing opportunity to turn this state around because that's what's, that is how my administration is going to be emulated, just exactly how it was the last four years. I'm going to talk to the people. I'm going to tell them they have options, and I'm going to point out the bad actors, and hopefully their elected, uh, their constituency will hold them accountable. That's the only way we turn this around. So if and when you become governor, what will be your first line of business? Well, uh, we will be, obviously, tackling the, uh, the, the the safety act. It must be repealed in its entirety, period. You know, our energy bill that was just created, I, it, it must be uh, repealed because it's devastating. It's a devastating blockade for any business to want to come here to Illinois. But aside that, uh, I will be cleaning house in every uh, agency uh, there is. Every agency director will be given their pink slip and ushered to the door, and we will be uh, placing competent, common-sense, business-minded men and women to take these places, Illinois State Board of Education, DCFS. I mean, just every agency director will be uh, replaced, and they will be tasked with uh, developing, uh, you know, the priority, their own budget that we can literally present to the people and show the people where their money is being spent. we got to get rid of our our school, or we got to get our schools full. And to reprioritize, so so basically getting safety, uh, getting our taxes down, and uh, and getting our schools back. Those are the three pillars of which we'll be working on. T- t- talk a little bit about that. It hasn't gotten enough play, but but uh, there was a crane story just a few weeks back that under Pritzker's energy policies, you know, which are basically modeled after Gavin Newsom's energy policies in California, under his policies. Illinois is going to go from being effectively energy independent, if you will, to a net importer of energy by the end of the decade. So it, it, explain what's happening and what this means for the, you know, to the cost of doing business here. So Illinois is actually already an importer of energy. Uh, prior to this bill, we imported 15 percent of our energy, although you know, we have two energy markets, the PJM market up north and the MISO market down south. And uh, combined with that, with the shutdown of our coal plants, the MISO market is already importing uh, energy. So we are a net importer, regardless of what J.B. Pritzker says. And hmm. and this summer, all across the state, uh, in the Ameren market, in the MISO market, people received notices. Everyone, I got one at my household here with through my uh, local co-op that said, "Hey, uh, expect higher uh, energy rates." Uh, it, almost 
the southern two-thirds of Illinois, they have already doubled. And they actually said, uh, the letter said, I think it was sent out in May or June, uh, there could be a possibility of brownouts and blackouts. And the only reason that didn't happen is because we didn't have consistently hot days. So we definitely uh, stand at risk of that. Uh, and, 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 you know, when, why would a business come here to Illinois when, number one, they don't feel safe, number two, our schools are failing, so their families can't raise their kids' property, and, and number three, uh, they can't depend on the energy to keep their lights on. But that's the harsh reality of what we're uh, living with with this, uh, with this energy bill. It goes too far. It goes too fast. We need to slow it down, throttle it back, and, uh, and work with the – as the technology uh, becomes available, that technology simply doesn't exist right now. He is State Senator Darren Bailey, the Republican nominee for governor, on the ballot on Tuesday, of course. Darren, thanks so much for joining us. Good luck on Tuesday. Hey, thank you, guys. God bless you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka, today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, Lauren Underwood, the nurse impersonator who lives with her mom or did prior to her election, surprise election to Congress in the Western Burbs. She's in trouble. She's in trouble. She's one of the three races in the suburbs that Republicans have a good chance to pick up. These are all dead heats, so turnout is going to be determinative. Talking about Pecow against Kasten, talking about Lauf versus Foster, and we're talking about Scott Greider versus Lauren Underwood. Scott Greider, who is the Kendall County Board Chairman and, and an attorney, joins us now. Scott, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Good morning, Dan and Amy. I'm excited to be here this morning. Yeah, so uh, give us uh, your handle on the state of play and how it's, uh, how it's become a, a race that, um, well, that Republicans should win. I suppose we should have never lost it, but it's tough to, sometimes it's tough to get seats back when, when you lose them and you're on the cusp of doing just that. It's difficult, you know, when you uh, – to go up against an incumbent, you can see it uh, – the three races that you just mentioned were being outspent handily by the Democrats. They have that power of incumbency. And one of the things that I, I like to say is that uh, Lauren Underwood has never had a problem spending other people's money. And that just is uh, shown by the fact that she's uh, with her fundraising, but also with uh, what she's done uh, as a legislator. Um, there, there's been $9 trillion in new spending since February of 2021. And, and uh, I don't think Lauren Underwood has seen a bill and spending bill that she hasn't liked. And so people across this district see that. They understand that. And, uh, you know, that's why we're trending in the right direction and why I'm really confident we're going to win this on, on Tuesday. Was she, uh, did you offer her to debate or did she offer you to debate? What was what happened with that? We had a uh, forum. We've, mm-hmm. we've talked about it at different times and and uh, it just they, they just never were able to materialize, uh, you know, during this, you know, last couple of months. Uh, and so the, the interesting thing sort of like with Pico versus Kasten is. You both have records. She has one in Congress. You have one at the county level. Um, so compare and contrast those records. You started talking about hers, uh, at least on the fiscal side. Yeah. Uh, but compare and contrast those records. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I, I do have a record. I've been on the county board for, for almost a decade. She's been in Congress for four years. Uh, first thing that we did when I got onto the county board, you know, I, I actually I took over a, a committee the whole meeting, not 
fully understanding the process, I guess, I, I made some people, uh, you know, ruffle a few feathers by introducing a 10-point transparency plan within a couple of months of being on the board. And uh, I thought that was that was important, not necessarily because there were so many things that had been, had been wrong or, you know, uh, that we were concerned about in Kendall County, but because it's important to the taxpayers to, to know where their money is being spent and to know, uh, you know, what vendors are being hired and, and different things like that. So we were able to, to do that immediately upon uh, taking over Congress. Uh, once I became chair in 2016, um, we uh, we went out and we did a, what I call kind of a sanity check on our vendors. Uh, we, we had some vendors that we used for 20 and 25 years and more than happy to bring them back. But, uh, you know, we wanted to go out and, and just comparison shop. And we did that and we came back and it resulted in hundreds of thousands of dollars in savings. And, uh, you know, at a county level, that's that's real dollars that we're saving. And that all goes to property taxes. So, you know, any dollars that we're able to save, you know, helps our, our residents. And speaking of property taxes, for the, I became chair in 2016. Uh, we did not take the CPI uh, on existing homes you know in the last five years and, and we're on a track to do that we're hoping to finish our budget season right now to do it here so I, I not only you know do I talk about you know reigning in spending but but we've done that and I, I've done that and she hasn't and you know that's really our first priority is to stop this hemorrhaging that the people of the 14th congressional district are feeling um, you know from higher gas taxes and grocery bills to higher school supplies it's all directly related to government action it's all, you know, directly related to more and more spending by Washington, D.C. And, you know, you can even look at the fact that my opponent has a zero percent rating uh, by the National Association of Manufacturers. That they, um, I think it's a 14 percent rating with National Federation of Independent Business, which is for small businesses. And it, it goes to show where her priorities are. It's, it's more federal spending and less innovation and supporting our entrepreneurs and small businesses. And that that's just that just has to change. There's 300,000 regulations on our, our manufacturers. <laughs> you talk about onerous regulation. That's uh, we need to, to take the uh, uh, you know uh, blow the covers off of that and and uh, you know get back to encouraging entrepreneurship and and uh, private enterprise here in, in this country to get things back on track. So Scott Greider, you're making uh, people a little nervous. President Biden's going to be coming to Chicago with JB, and they're going to be focusing on boosting suburban. Chicago congressional races, such as Sean Cass, and it says Bill Foster and Lauren Underwood. So what's your reaction to that? It shows, you know, someone's getting a little scared. Well, you know, my, my wife woke uh, this morning when I woke up, she said, uh, oh, how's my extremist doing this morning? And, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, exactly. that's, uh, yeah. that's my new nickname uh, among the, uh, you know, friends and, and apparently enemies as well is uh, that we're an extremist. And, uh, you know, it went from I, I got a, a text message from a friend yesterday who said, uh, you know, it went from, uh, you know, flowers and rainbows in her ads to uh, Scott Greider is uh, black and white on the uh, uh, your, your photo and uh, an extremist and just a terrible, you know, person. So you must be doing something right. <laughs> so uh, uh, the fact that the, the president is coming here, she she actually had brought out Kamala Harris previously. She brought out a, a member of the cabinet uh, uh, previously. She's had uh, Mitch Landrew, who, uh, you know, uh, she brought as a proxy, I, I forget his exact position with uh, the federal government, but when he was the mayor of New Orleans, you know, crime went up 50 percent. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of crime, you know, I asked her when we did have a forum if uh, she would join me in, in asking the state to go back and take a look at the Safety Act and go back and do it correctly. And she not only did not want to do that, but said I was confused about what uh, what office I was running for. And, uh, you know, what I'm not confused about is what's concerning people of the 14th Congressional District, and that is definitely uh, at the top of the list. And you know, we have certainly have a pulpit that we can uh, we can raise the um, you know the level of of uh, 
you know, interest on. And, and I think you guys are doing a good job of that too. And you had Darren Bailey on here before who's done a good job about that as well. But that's something that people in the 14th district are, are very concerned about. Well, yeah, we had uh, your County state's attorney on the show a couple weeks back for an extended uh, chat. And he, he really provided a lot of detail, which was helpful as somebody who's been a prosecutor for two and a half decades. And, um, you know, I mean, so that this, you know, people, People don't look at these issues necessarily as who, you know, the the layers of government who bears primary responsibility. They want everybody to be on the same page when it comes to providing for their safety. And we have people, including, as you were just saying, Underwood, who were on one page with Pritzker and Lightfoot and Fox and people who are on a different page. Well, that's that's so correct. And you can take it even further. I asked her about this as well. She's taken money from Ilan Omar in, in Minnesota who has called for the complete defunding of the Minneapolis police department. And, you know, she didn't want to condemn that either. And uh, that just kind of tells you where, where her priorities are and, and where ours are. We will support the, the uh, law enforcement community and have supported the law enforcement community. You know, everything that uh, we also have a sheriff here in, in uh, Kendall County that uh, we, we uh, support his budget. And we have uh, anytime he's come back to us and asked us and said, you know, Hey, we really need this. Uh, training in particular is something that he's very big on and he, he's not uh, afraid to hold uh, bad cops accountable. I think that n- nobody has a, a concern with that, but, but we all want to be safe in our communities and we, we want the men and women of law enforcement to wake up and, and feel like, you know, we're behind them and have their back every morning and not, uh, you know, this scenario that we're in right now where um, there's some concern about that in, in certain segments. Be- beyond the uh, fiscal matters, uh, if you're elected, uh to Congress, what what are you excited to get to Washington to do? What is it you want to? And I don't, well, and I don't mean sightseeing. I mean you know to do as a congressman. <laughs> well, you know we, we can do the sightseeing uh, you know on recess. Uh, <laughs> yes, there's, there's right. So much work that <laughs> there's so much work that needs to be done. Uh, one of the things that uh, that we need to talk about is uh, at, you know at re- energy independence. We have to have an all hands on deck uh, you know all the above approach to that. And you know we're not at a point where we're ready to get rid of fossil fuels and. You know, Biden has promised to end fossil fuels and, you know, higher gas prices are part of the uh, I forget how he worded it, but basically an inevitable, uh, inevitable transition. So, you know, if you, you elect Lauren Underwood, you elect uh, Democrats back to Congress, your, your gas prices aren't coming down. And, uh, you know, a reason for that is he's halted, you know, new energy projects. He's shut down pipeline construction. And uh, I mean, look at California. I think we, we maybe talked about this last time I was on, but they announced that they were going to get rid of uh, or, you know, outlaw gas powered vehicles by 2030. The next day they're talking about brownouts. Uh, you know, our grid just isn't ready for that uh, at this point in time. And we also have one of the largest uh, bio biofuel uh, facilities in the, in the country in this district as well. So, um, you know, that's something that's really important to us is, is uh, energy independence, border security. Uh, so critical. It's, it's, you know, it's national security, but it's also something that, that here, you know, it's uh, the fentanyl crisis. Uh, fentanyl is coming over the border, and it's the leading killer among 18 to 45-year-olds right now. And, you know, at what point are we going to do something to uh, stop that and curb that? And, um, you know, Lauren Underwood said that she's been down there uh, to the border multiple times. And, uh, you know, she condemned the uh, Texas governor, as, you know, sending uh, busloads, uh, you know, of, of immigrants up here. And, you know, what that means is that she, maybe she was there, but she wasn't listening. She's not listening to what, what the governor was saying. She's not listening to what people are saying and certainly not listening to what families are saying that, uh, um, you know, are dealing with uh, this fentanyl crisis. He is Scott Greider. He's the Republican nominee for Congress in Illinois' 14th, running against incumbent Lauren Underwood. Scott, G-R-Y-D-E-R, ScottGreider.com for more information about his candidacy and campaign in these closing days. 
Scott, thanks for joining us. Good luck on Tuesday. Hey, thanks for having me on. We're excited, and we're going to finish strong. Thanks, uh, thanks, Amy, as well. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. The uh, closing salvo from Democrat Socialist Nikki Budzinski down in central Illinois, this uh, newly created district per the remap, district that goes from central Illinois down to Metro East near St. Louis. Nikki Budzinski, who is a political flack for Pritzker and then was leveled up to be a political flack for Biden and now has come back to play what? She's a Democrat Socialist. Class Envy Politics, that's her close. Take a listen. Times are tough, especially if you work for a living. But Regan Deering's a wealthy heiress who inherited millions and just doesn't get it. Deering wants to slash the Social Security and Medicare you paid into, cutting the retirement benefits you earned. Regan Deering's not for us. I'm Nikki Budzinski, and I grew up middle class. And the only thing I inherited was my mom's common sense. I approve this message because I've spent my life fighting for working people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what's fun about that ad? Well, there's a few things that's fun that are fun about that ad. But the first one is times are tough. Why are they tough, Nikki? Because of the policies of the people that you work for and are now running to emulate. But okay, that's just my quick take on it. And I love how if you work for a living, what? Yeah, well, right. Because most of us are sitting at home eating bonbons. Uh, yeah, and uh, and her working for a living, right? This is somebody who is under a ethical cloud right now. We talked about this the last time Regan Deering was on the show because of this half a million dollars uh, at least she made in quote unquote consulting fees after she left government, uh, and she won't sort of disclose the nature of this compensation. So here's somebody that, you know, feasted off the taxpayers to be a political operative in government, then turns around and gets sweetheart deals from the insiders in government. That's going to lecture other people about working for a living after the policy she promotes has made it more difficult for people working for a living to make a living. Uh, OK, sure. Uh, no sale. Uh, for a closing argument uh, in response, we're pleased to be joined again by Republican nominee for Congress, Regan Deering. Regan, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Good morning, Dan and Amy. I couldn't have unpacked that commercial better myself. Well, yeah, well, you know, that's what I do. Um, but uh, you, you, you're but enough about him. You, what do you think of him? <laughs> well, your closing <laughs> argument, though, and I mean, you know, it can be in response to that, or it can be in complete. You can completely dismiss it. But but it, the class envy politics that uh, the left likes to play. I wonder how that plays in Southern Illinois, Central and Southern Illinois. Well, I think that it's a narrative that we have commented on as the hypocrisy because Nikki Budzinski worked for probably the most prominent heir in Illinois and, quite frankly, across yeah. this country in J.B. Right. Pritzker. Right. So, you know, if she is saying that as a wealthy heiress, I'm unable to relate to the people, then surely Governor Pritzker 
is uh, even more disconnected from the hardworking families in Illinois. You know, my husband and I are living in central Illinois. We understand the concerns, um, you know, facing everyday Americans. We're, we're, we're working and raising our family, and we have been for years. So we understand, and that's why I want to go to Washington, is bring those same values and needs of the people in my community there, whereas Nikki Budzinski is running to bring, uh, you know, Washington's agenda back here to central Illinois. And people can see right through that. We are working so hard uh, traveling throughout this 13th congressional district, meeting people every day on the trail and talking about, you know, common sense solutions and um, the real world experiences that I've had, whether that's working in schools, owning my own small business, you know, advocating for low income families in my community, um, you know, showing up at my school board meetings. And so I am relating to the people every single day in my own life. And that's what we need in our elected representatives, a true representative to go um, and advocate for families in Chinsville and Southern Illinois. And that's what I intend to do. But why did you decide to run? What was your aha moment? Not to sound like Oprah, but I just did sound like Oprah. <laughs> but what was it? Well, I, I think that, you know, for me, it was coming out of COVID and knowing that I had an opportunity to um, show up and advocate for my kids getting back in school. Um, you know, I have uh, two girls in public school and um, was standing up at my school board meetings when they were talking about um, what the return to learn plan looked like. And we all knew that our students needed to be in school. They needed to be getting that quality education. We needed to take the necessary precautions, but that we wanted our kids to be in school. And so the government overreach was just so apparent and um, the pressure put on our local school boards. Um, worked. And I know that I joined a number of parents who stood up and said, we're not going to stand for this. You know, we want to be able to advocate for our kids. We know what's best for our children. And um, I think that knowing we had an opportunity to push back on that government overreach and in court, Governor Prisker lost um, his right to, to force masks on kids in school and eliminate them from school if they were exposed, um, felt like a win for the people. And I had so many um, people come to me afterwards and say, thank you. Thank you for putting your name to that. Thank you for standing in the gap for us parents. You know, people couldn't for a variety of reasons, whether they're a small business owner or maybe worked in the school. But um, knowing I had an opportunity to really represent the people that had similar interests to mine um, really, I think, is what motivated me. And um, so when you go to Congress, uh, the policies that were promulgated by well, under the recommendation of the public health authorities uh, that were adopted in toto by COVIDian politicians like Pritzker. Do, do you want to see a reckoning? You know, we've got this discussion going on because of this piece in The Atlantic by Emily Oster talking about whether or not we should have pandemic amnesty and just let bygones be bygones and differences of opinion be differences. You know, be, let, let that all subside and let's just move on and pretend the last three years didn't happen. Um, and I think there's more of an appetite for some accountability from people in Washington, D.C. that were so influential and people at the state and local level before people can move on. And, you know, can't we all get along again? Well, I think you're right in that this country was built on freedom and we can't forget that. And during the pandemic and during the government overreach and the lockdowns and the staying home, there was a lot of of loss of freedom. And we all experienced this COVID pandemic at the same time. A lot of uncertainty at the beginning, you know, a lot of wanting to make sure that we were protecting the most vulnerable and taking the right steps. But 
the prolonging of it and, you know, the destruction of sort of the American way of life as a result, um, I feel does need some accountability. And we need to make sure that we don't um, endure something like this again. And, you know, Congress has a role in that. And I, you know, I intend to have a seat at the table. You know, something else, too, just going back to this uh, this business of your business, your family, you know, the, the connection you have to ADM. You know, I, I think it seems to me we also need people. I mean, Nikki Bazinski is a political operative. Um, that's how she's survived and to some extent, apparently recently thrived uh, her political connections. You know, you're connected to a business that provided thousands and thousands of jobs for generations of families and, you know, as part of the agribusiness community that feeds the world. And 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 people are supposed to be ashamed of that. I, I just that it, I think it needs to be presented to people say, wait a second, what are we supposed to celebrate and what are we supposed to look with a jaundiced eye at. It seems to me political insider rent-seeking, kleptocrats is something we shouldn't be celebrating, and people that create businesses and improve the quality of life for millions of other people, we should be celebrating. Is that so difficult to argue? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I'm proud of where I'm from, and, you know, I've been honest about who I am and what I intend to do, you know, with the resources that I have, and I have always been a servant in, throughout my career. And celebrating success is, you know, part of the American dream. We all want to be able to achieve, you know, better for ourselves and our children. And that's something that many of us, um, you know, throughout the country are working towards is making sure that we have success for all. So I think that being an elected representative and a true statesman means that you know, you are going to work for the people and you use your experiences and you talk about your priorities and you go to Washington and create good policy and, um, you know, spend our taxpayer dollars well. And then you come back home and you live by those rules <laughs> that you have set. And yeah. so, uh, you know, that's that's the reason that I'm going. Um, you know, I know that I have been afforded experiences that maybe not everyone else has, uh, but I'm never shying away from uh, my family's success and the responsibility that I have. Um, to go and continue that um, that life of service. All right, so we have five days left until the election. What's the game plan? The game plan is get out and meet voters and earn their support. <laughs> um, we have been working really hard uh, throughout this entire campaign to make sure that we try and show up everywhere that we are asked or that we see, um, you know, an opportunity to go and meet a variety of people, whether that's, um, you know, mayors or schools or chambers of commerce, um, churches, community groups, door knocking, phone calls. Um, and so we will just continue that for these last five days, making sure that voters know who I am and what I'm about and why I want to go to Washington and represent them. And by the way, on, on the whole family thing, um, you and I have something in common in addition to being conservatives. Both adopted. You're oh. adopted, well, right? Well, how about that? Yeah. Yes, it's actually National Adoption Month. Yeah. So oh, we is, can is it? Celebrate that oh, well. November. Yeah, November. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it's very yeah. interesting. Your family did better than my family did, but um, well, oh, Dan. You know, I mean, just, they just made a better Larry choice. Might be listening. A better, better selection. <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know. But uh, no, it's that's a that's a cool thing. It's a it's um, um, you know, it's just well, we something both, else. Something else you can advocate we for. Have, 
yeah, we both recognize, you know, having selfless mothers who gave us the gift of life and parents who chose to adopt and and love children in this world. So, you know, in Congress, I'm just going to continue to advocate for women and children, you know, making sure we have good funding and good resources for maternal care and adoption services. And and that's a platform that I, I intend to celebrate. Absolutely. Very good. Well, we're happy that you ran for office and getting to know you over the last several months because you're one of the more thoughtful uh, conservative candidates to emerge in Illinois in a, in a long time, as far as I'm concerned. That's my experience. That's my view. So we appreciate well, thank it. thank you for saying that. Yeah, yeah, I think that, you know, the the state and the country is ready for elected officials, you know, that have just come from um, – from the sidelines. You know, we don't need to be crafted to to have a political career. I certainly applaud those that have worked their way up and, you know, have worked on campaigns and know the ins and outs. It's been a very steep learning curve, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and it's not for the faint at heart. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I have really enjoyed the experience and I'm really looking forward to being uh, the next congresswoman in the 13th and going to work for the people. We hope so. She is Regan Deering, Regan, R-E-G-A-N, for Congress, the number four, Regan4Congress.com for more information, make a last-minute donation, get involved in her candidacy, her campaign in the last four days, five days here. Regan uh, for congresscom Regan Deering, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan and Amy. Have a great weekend. Thanks. Everybody you. get out and vote. Okay, we will do, and thank you so much. And she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to podcasts of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I met uh, our next guest a couple of years ago when we both spoke at a uh, Lincoln Day dinner in uh, Lake County, Indiana. And I had a feeling... We'd be hearing her name again in the near term. I had a feeling she'd be candidate for high office. Very sharp. Very good speaker. I uh, enjoy talking with her. And now we get to talk to her again. We've been looking forward to having her on the program. She is Jennifer Ruth Green. She is the Republican nominee for Congress in Indiana 1, Northwest Indiana, right across uh, the border there where, you know, a good percentage of uh, Illinois expats live. And uh, she's poised to stage an upset uh, in northwest Indiana in a seat that's been long held by Democrats because of the Democrat stronghold that is Lake County, Indiana. She's Jennifer Ruth Green. She joins us now. Jennifer, thanks for being with us. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate it. I do remember the first time we met at that Lincoln Day dinner because you had an all-day golf excursion. Yes. Like, oh, man, I got a little burnt today. And yes. I was like, oh, he looks, you know, uncomfortable. I for, you're right. I, I was. I was and... <laughs> you're right. I forgot about that. I look, I was like, like a, a flashing red light. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. I forgot but about you that. Know, you went on and you did your speech and it was great and standing ovation. And yeah, you didn't, you didn't appear uncomfortable at all. Oh, very good. Thank you so much for your kind words. So, um, so, so uh, military background. Um, tell us about, uh, you know, since we haven't had a chance to talk to you, I know a lot of people listening in Northwest Indiana know it, but for those who don't, you know, tell us uh, how you decided to, why you decided to do this and, and where the campaign stands as you're really making a run that we haven't seen in that district in a long time. Yes. So it's been an exciting journey. Uh, we met on May 25th, 2021, and that was the first speech that I've, I'd ever given at anything GOP related and uh, felt a burden to run for Congress uh, just to be able to help our country get back in the right direction. 
I remember February 4th, 2020, seeing the State of the Union address and watching uh, in great disgust as Speaker Pelosi tore up the State of the Union address. And I remember thinking if she understood the human cost of war, she would conduct herself differently. And I remember thinking that here she is clearly conveying weakness to our international adversaries. And they're going to come look at that and say, America's weak, and it's a time to attack them. And I thought, you know what, if these people are going to attack because of your antics, it's not your life that's on the line, it's my life as a military member and the lives of people who wear the uniform alongside me, who are going to have to be uh, combating uh, as other countries try to to engage with us um, after those kind of actions. And so it just really just disgusted me. And I said, we have to do something better. And that was the initiative. That was the prompt. And that was the moment that I said, you know, we need we need people who understand the human cost of war in the place where war will be declared. Constitutionally, it's Congress. And I just felt that people, we need people who serve. And I looked at the stats and found that fewer than uh, 18% of people in Congress had worn the uniform. And I just said, we have to change that. So that was the impetus. But then as time has continued, I began to see uh, several things that we needed to focus on. Um, The botched withdrawal of Afghanistan, ultimately the weakness on an international stage, the Putin invasion of the Ukraine, uh, China's continued aggression uh, regarding Taiwan. And I just said, internationally, these things are continuing to be true because of this weakness that's portrayed by this current administration. And then... We saw everything else, gas, groceries, and grandkids. People have to make a choice between gas and groceries when they get up in the morning. And they also have to recognize that Congressman Frank Mervan is spending their grandkids' money. And so everything I hear about, my pension is going down 20 to 25 percent. I have to work longer. I I don't know where I'm going to, how I'm going to make ends meet. I have a job. I have a full-time job, but yet I still have to go to the food pantry to close, you know, close the end of the month out. And those kind of things are the America that people want to get a pat on the back for and say, let's reelect the same leadership. And it's a failure. And these are the things that we have to do better. Hoosiers deserve better, and they believe we're going to bring it to them. In six days, we're going to bring home a victory because they understand that. I told people, I told you she's good. Gas, groceries, and grandkids, very good. I like that. Uh, that's a great handle. Very, yeah, but, very you know, good. Frank Mervan, all these commercials, I mean, they're flooded in the Chicago, northwest Indiana area, saying that you're going to, if you're elected, you're going to take manufacturing jobs to China. Pot kettle. I know. You know, that's, the <laughs> that's exactly the thing they did. You know, steel is our industry here. We have 27 percent of the nation's steel that comes from this area. And Congressman Frank Mervan is, is leader of the Steel Caucus, which may remind the audience, the Steel Caucus is like a club, just like the Glee Club. It does not have any administrative authority. It does not have any legislative authority. It is a group of people who are interested. And the most you can do is band together and put a note together and say, hey, we represent 700,000 people, each of us, and there are 25 of us who are mad. And you can get a letter to the president's desk. It still holds power, but let's, let's not kid ourselves. And so he has never once bucked President Biden. He has never once said, hey, the EU deal where you're using steel as leverage in the European Union negotiations, that's going to hurt us. The fact that the president, President Trump, had tariffs that were based on blanket tariffs against Chinese steel and the fact that he wants to roll them back to make quota tariffs, that's what he did. And Congressman Mervan and the Steel Caucus said nothing. And so if he wants to suspect that he is focused on national security or that he's focused on steel, pot kettle, because he has done nothing. 
Maybe uh, maybe the Glee Club should replace that that Steel Club. Uh, the the something. <laughs> It'd be a lot more enjoyable with the, the noise. Yeah, I was sure the singing. Yeah, um, the, um, the your service in the Air Force and in theater in Iraq. Uh, something very wrong happened to you in this campaign just a few weeks ago. Uh, the release of of a, a part of your personnel file that involved you being sexually assaulted, which should not have been released, and the Air Force admitted it shouldn't have been released. But but how was your opponent involved in bringing something that was a private matter that you did not want to make public? How was he involved in bringing this public? Sick. So I'll give you a quick timeline. Um, so essentially what happened was Congressman Frank Mervan got frontlined, DCCC frontlined, and so basically that's the vulnerable Democrat list. And that means that they're going to layer your campaign. They're going to take care of every communication. They're going to make sure that they know exactly what you're doing. They're going to push you to fundraise because, after all, they have to limp you along. So he got frontlined, co- uh, just intermingled with the DCCC. And then what happened was, March 23rd, due diligence, with a DCCC um, uh, OPPO research firm requested my records from the Air Force. Somebody in the Air Force leaked my entire personnel record from 2000 to 2018. April 1st is when the response came to due diligence. That was the firm's name. And then due diligence, who is intertwined with my opponent because he's on the front line list, they took it and they pitched it to several media outlets. Politico is the one who told us that. Politico said, hey, we're going we're gonna to splash this on the front page. And so we said, please don't do that. Because you only have half the story. You have an allegation of misconduct, and you have my sexual assault. And they said, if we don't do it, someone else will. Implying and letting us know that other people had this information as well. And then we corroborated that after the fact when other people were commenting with information from my personnel file. But the thing was, they only had half the story. They just had the allegation against me, uh, specifically saying I was sexually assaulted and all these things were wrong as a failed officer. But what they don't know is that I rebutted that with the Air Force and took many years and uh, shared reports on the ground from my leaders who were there who said, I never questioned Jennifer Ruth. I was here at the event. What happened was wrong. This is what happened, blah, 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 blah. Settled with the Air Force. I've since been promoted twice, currently serving as a lieutenant colonel, just finished a command tour, one of 14 commanders on the base out at the 122nd Sutherland, and the Air Force and I had already settled it. But the fact that these people didn't know means they didn't do all their research or that they didn't care or that they just wanted to try to smear me. And so at the end of the day, the Dems tried to smear me. And if Congressman Frank Mervan, he went on TV or excuse me, he went online and said he had nothing to do with it. And every single ad he's done has been coordinated with the DCCC. And so for him to act as if he had nothing to do with it, sure, he may not have pressed send to send an email to, to reporters, but that's exactly what happened. We have dates. We have people. And then if you think about it, if he says I had absolutely nothing to do with it and the DCCC did it all, well, then you don't know who's running your campaign and you don't know who's running our district. Either case is a failure of leadership. And so, I mean, has has this boom, I, I can't imagine how this did not, has not boomeranged on him in district, the exploiting as a, a sexual assault. Uh, I can't imagine this is being, pl- this is being received well by, by your voters. People are fired up. But you know what, I, I've heard that people have, you know, the, the news said that people have been threatening his family, and for that I sincerely apologize. Uh, I had I, I just pray for them because no one wants their lives to be threatened or their family's lives to be threatened. 
but people are upset. And, and I pray that he would have safety and I pray that uh, the emotional pain of his mistake would, would end quickly. But I believe that voters and people in general are holding him accountable for it all across the nation because they see the gravity of this failure. So, so what's the, yeah, I mean, the gravity of the failure is a good phrase. What, so what's the, what's the state of play now? I mean, this, but before Mervan's new as a congressman, it was Visklowski for a long time, but it's always been in dem hands, at least as far as back as I can remember, you'll, you'll know the history better. So, sure. so what's happening on the ground now? How is it different this time? You know, 92 years is how long it's been. Oh my God. And uh, we've seen, like you said, people have come from Illinois bringing conservative values and uh, really, at the very beginning, Attorney General Todd Rakita is the one who, who uh, helped us to kick it off in the region. We had other leaders, Congressman Jim Banks, but Attorney General Rakita was the one who said, hey, like, we're backing Lake County and we're, we're here. And so he came through and he really helped and he fired up a lot of people on our behalf. And so I am forever grateful for that. Uh, but we've seen that influx of people come in from Illinois. We've also seen that people, uh, we've made this race not about Republicans or Democrats. We've made this race about Jennifer Ruth Green versus Congressman Frank Mervan and good idea. If you feel you are better off today than you were two years ago, then continue to elect Congressman Frank Mervan. But I would argue for many reasons we can't continue to afford to elect him. And so that's just it. It's just a referendum on his lack of attention in this district. And because we've outraised him for three consecutive reporting periods, we have the opportunity to share our message. We have billboards. We're, we're targeting the Spanish. Uh, we're targeting the Spanish population, the African-American populations, faith-based populations, the laborers. I've had the opportunity to get into labor unions, uh, our labor union halls, and uh, talk to them about what we're doing. And we're continuing to see support. And so it's incredibly encouraging to me. Um, and uh, polls look encouraging to me. And we are very, very excited to bring home a win in six days because we are going to bring Hoosiers better than Congressman Frank Mervan has provided them. I love it. Jennifer Ruth Green, she's the Republican nominee in Indiana 1 in northwest Indiana, Lake County. And uh, it'd be great to have uh, a woman in uniform in Congress uh, with a focus on the state of the state of uh, our military readiness, particularly with all the conversations we've had with Lieutenant Colonel Jim Carafano about the lack of it at this point. Jennifer Ruth Green, Mm -hmm. thanks so much for joining us. Good luck on Tuesday. Great job. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.